Hello, and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN and Pork Bun. I'm Simone de Rochefort, <laughs> supervising video producer at Polygon, and I'm here with Christina Warren, senior develop- developer advocate at GitHub, and Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack. Thank you both for holding down the fort. It was two hard Simoneless weeks. It was. It was brutal. You had crayons though. You had a little. We did have no, no, no. no, Crayons was amazing. No, here's the problem though. When you're not here, and and this is why this show works. It needs all three of us. Is that our episode last week was an hour and forty minutes, and I think that our episode, yeah. That, including no! Booster, in, in, including Booster. That was the Booster. Counting the thirty minutes that we spent talking before we before even we recorded. yeah. How did that happen? I don't know. But also, the episode with Kranz was also like two hours. So, oh my god. So this this is what happens is that we we cannot stay like on. Yeah. You need I'm someone who knows less to move you on to we the need, next topic. We need, it's funny because you're the youngest of us, allegedly. I, I, Many Christy are saying very this. Close. Yeah. I, I think she's like one day older. Uh, but you're 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 the tough parent that keeps the show going. So, well, in light of that, Brie, I believe you had something that you wanted oh to say god. at the top of the show. Oh my god! So y'all, I did it last week. I nailed it. I did games done quick. Oh my God. It was a lifelong dream and I nailed it. I had a great speed run. I did miss three vegetables on the wart fight, uh, which made it a little bit longer than it needed to be, but it was a fantastic run. Uh, I had a great commentary buddy and it was an absolute blast. And I was, I was so scared I was going to play it because he had, this is 10 minutes of like, don't miss a jump, hit frame perfect on on every single door don't let like a don't fall in a fireball and because it's the game boy advance version of it uh you don't default to two health points like it's oh one hit God. and you're dead so this was very very high stress but i did it so I'm that thrilled about is that. so cool yes i'm very happy for you and and so so your your sd card or whatever you had to get um uh, came in Yes. Uh, I I had a a fan of the show that was uh, very sweet. And uh, the thing is, Game Boy Advance is very difficult to um, emulate correctly. Right. Um, And I play on original hardware. The best way to do it is there was a a rare accessory that came out for GameCube. Yeah, the uh, player. Yeah, the Game Boy player. Yep, got one. The problem is it's very laggy. Uh, so you have to root the 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 firmware in it <laughs> to make it run faster. And there's gotcha. a very specific like SD card loader for the GameCube that you have to get. So yeah, it was a real mess. A lot of pre-production, a lot of uh quick, quick reflexes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Why are you gonna do it again? Lesson? Uh yes, I, I uh submitted this run to the uh to the bigger one at San Diego uh that's coming up soon. So fingers yeah. crossed I will uh, be accepted for that. Do you go there for that or for if that you get accepted? I, would. I oh sure would fly off for that. Cool. I mean that's the major leagues, y'all. So. Does this kind of lead up to something like summer games done quick or is that a separate event? That it's all part of the same. Like it's like a yeah. It's like packs. Like they just put on events all year long. That's so, so cool. yeah, very exciting stuff. All right. Well, we've got a exciting rest of the show for y'all. We're going to be talking about Google's own approach to AI, uh, as well as a we Spotify redesign for content creators. And Ugh. then uh, Christina is going to summarize for us an incredible complex story. Of German fraud, um, which has been covered in the New Yorker and the Guardian this week. Uh, it, is, it is thorny. It is twisty. It involves millions of dollars. It involves online gambling. It involves Russian mercenaries. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned for that. Our boosties, our beloved, beloved premium subscribers, are going to hear the story previously only released on my Instagram close friends of what happened to me in the taxi on the way to the airport. <laughs> when I was on my way to Venice. Um, and that's all I am going to say about that. If you're curious, you can go to relay.fm slash membership to learn how you can support this show directly. You get an ad-free show. You also get a bonus segment, uh, Rocket Booster, which uh, where we, we save uh, some of our juiciest, juiciest things. 
But you know, I was thinking we should rename this. We should call it Rocket University. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like our our members only uh, scheme. Uh, we get in and we will educate you every single week on how to be uh, the best Rocket listener you can be. Maybe that'll be a different bonus segment. Maybe maybe we can just kind of expand the bonus sort of uh, universe, the cinematic yes. universe. Oh, I like that. Yes. I like that. The RCU. Look, no, I like this because then we could have like Rocket Movie Club, Rocket University, you know, Rocket Booster. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's good. It's all, it's all looking up from here. Simone will be your tough aunt that will call you up every single week and give yep. you the stern pep talk that you need to get your stuff done. Christina will be the, the the cool aunt who will call you every week and give you tips on how to you know get out of things and uh, and scam um, scam your way into uh, success or something. I don't know. And Brianna will be the cool but legal aunt who buys you AirPods and yes, takes 100%. you on rides on her motorcycle. <laughs> yes. Um, all right, let's move on to talking about AI. Uh, so we've covered a lot on this show. Um, the rollout of ChatGPT, as well as Microsoft's integration of AI technology into Bing, uh, Google is playing catch up uh, in, in, in a way. They've obviously been working on AI for a long time, but they've announced uh, on February 6th that it was testing an AI called Bard internally with the aim of releasing it uh, as a search companion in coming weeks. Um, also planning to, this is a rumor, they are rumored to be planning showing more than 20 AI-powered or involved products uh, at I.O. this year, <laughs> as well as announcing uh, in November last year that they are uh, still continuing to work on an AI language model that supports a thousand different languages. Uh, this is work that they've been doing for a long time but it kind of seems like it, it, it's being shoved to the forefront more, certainly in the news, with the uh, great great amount of oxygen that ChatGPT and Bing and uh, act, uh, programs like that are taking up uh, in the world. There's a piece in the Wall Street Journal this week um, covering the history that Google has had with researching and developing AI products, which is a... a process that it's been going through for a long time, but it's always taken a much more cautious approach to it. Um, the story talks about two ex-Google researchers, Daniel DeFreitas and Noam Shazir, who had been developing uh, technology that they hoped to integrate into Google Assistant, um, who eventually ended up leaving the company because they were frustrated by Google's overly cautious approach, or I won't say overly cautious, cautious approach to implementing AI uh, when it comes to interacting with customers. Uh, they had been told that the program, quote unquote, didn't meet company standards for safety and fairness. And that's something that we've seen discussed a lot when it comes to Google's uh, efforts with AI. I know last year, I believe it was last year, we talked about the researcher who was fired after becoming convinced that the AI had become sentient uh, yeah. in 2018. Google employees uh, protested and, and succeeded in getting Google to promise not to use AI technology for military projects. Um, it's kind of it's been it's been a lot of a back and forth within the company when it comes to Google's work on AI, but not nothing really reaching a customer interface level. But of course, that doesn't mean that they haven't been working on it, uh, as covered in the Wall Street Journal piece again by Miles Kruppa and Sam Schechner. Uh, this has been something that has been bubbling and being researched at Google for years and years, um, going back to like the purchase of, of DeepMind ages and ages ago. Um, but so Google now is on the precipice of releasing Bard, I believe, uh, which shares the same, I will say, weaknesses of the AI that we are now all intimately familiar with uh, through ChatGPT and Bing AI search, uh, one of which is a, a childlike tendency to make up answers when it doesn't know something. But Google is stepping fully now into, into a space that's been uh, kind of dominated by Microsoft in the last few months. What do we think? Are they are they early? Are they late? Are they overly cautious? Are they just mm. cautious enough? Is everybody is, is everybody talking about this now when last year we were all talking about NFTs and Bitcoin? And I'm kind of like, hmm, the trend cycle is going so quickly. How do we feel? 
Well, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, you know, first of all, I, I think there's a lot of, well, it's very discouraging to read the Wall Street Journal piece and to see that a lot of the concerns that were raised about uh, the ethics of AI um, seeming to have, you know, not 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 stopped, but slowed the development of Google's AI technology behind the scenes. It's it's kind of I I think it sends a very scary message, right? That if you do slow down, if you listen to critics, if you listen to voices inside the company, uh, that that could actually lead to your competitors having a huge uh-huh. leg up on you. I don't think that's a great precedent uh, as far as uh, the tech industry's uh, ability to develop uh, uh, things that are a little bit more thoughtful rather than bring them to market and sing with breaks. Um, the other thing is it, it, it's like there's a really good example of this working well and an example of this not going well for Google, right? Like an example of it going very, very well is Apple put out the iPhone. Uh, they scrambled they put a team together, uh, and they ended up putting out a product that uh, you know rivaled, and now is part of a, a very comfortable duopoly as far as smartphones. Mm. The the other the example of this not working is Christina's favorite social network, which was Google Plus. Right. <laughs> that did not go so well. Um, so I I I think I, I think this is. It's good that Google is moving in this direction. I think it's a technology that makes more sense than say. NFTs. I just, I, I think something they're doing that's very different than what Facebook is doing in this situation that really speaks to them being able to eventually succeed is when it came to Meta, you know, uh, John Carmack was out there saying, Meta needs to commit to using this cool technology we have to make sure for our big uh, company-wide event next year, we're all having it in Meta. Not because it's it's important to like have it uh, in a, a metaverse, but it will force us to develop this technology where uh, we can all congregate and have no lag uh, in a very large instance like this. Google's kind of doing that same thing with mandating the AI be part of every single product that they're bringing to market. And I think that's really good because you can't uh, develop good software if you don't dog food it. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So I will start off by saying that I am absolutely conflicted, uh, uh, have conflicts of interest um, uh, of sorts in, in this topic because uh, the company that I work for, GitHub, has a partnership with OpenAI. We sell a product called GitHub Copilot that uses GPT-3.5 um, under the hood. Uh, and uh, I used to work uh, for Microsoft, uh, who obviously owns GitHub, um, who has um, is Get, uh, OpenAI's largest investor, and and as you mentioned, is is involved um, uh, in using OpenAI stuff, not just in, in Bing, but uh, in a even Dynamics 365 was announced this week of getting, you know, um, stuff in and uh, Microsoft Designer. Like, the, there's lots and lots of integrations across the company there. Uh, so that's that's just my disclaimer out of the way. Having said that, like, I it, the reporting both in the Wall Street Journal and in Bloomberg, Bloomberg also po- post a, posted a story this week um, about uh, titled uh, Google's plan to catch ChatGPT is to stuff AI and everything. Um, that reporting matches a lot of what I've been hearing directly from um, friends that I have who work at Google, who work in areas that aren't even in the AI group, but are are you know across the company. Who it does definitely seem like this is a um, kind of an all hands on deck moment where mm. everybody is is like freaked out that that they've almost it, it feels like they. It, my my interpretation based on people I've talked to is that Google feels like they've been caught flat footed. And what's uh, there, there's a certain irony in this because Google arguably invented a lot of the technology that OpenAI and other companies, um, you know, are, are, are using. Um, as you mentioned, the DeepMind acquisition, which happened, you know, more than a decade ago. Uh, and there have been, you know, um, for ages and ages and ages, Google has been, has had tremendous AI prowess and they've used AI under the hood in a lot of their products, right? Like, uh, you know, Magic Eraser, which is, um, which was shown off in the Super Bowl ad, Google Photos mm-hmm. in general, which- I, All of their cameras, like all their cameras, the best AI. The, the, the best, even, you know, and, and then they've been, they've been training the, the models in the corpus on a lot of stuff. They've, they've really been at the forefront for this for a long time. But for whatever reason, the consumer-facing stuff, uh, especially in this iteration that we've seen with chatbots, which whether people like them or not, 
does make sense for a lot of people, I think does have a lot of use cases. There's a lot of value in this form of, yes, it is fancy autocomplete, but I don't think that obviates the the value or the usefulness that a lot of people can have from this. Um, you know, and, and that's to say nothing that the generative, um, uh, the other generative AI models, you know, for things like art and audio and other ways, you're seeing all these other companies that are releasing things to the public that are productized and and for whatever reason Google hasn't and we we have a saying at GitHub shipping is a feature and shipping is a feature you can have all the best tech in the world but if it's not out there and if people can't use it and if people can't see it then it, it doesn't matter who had it first I mean Sony famously has had a lot of tech that is you know they they've been especially in imaging you know they are still the leaders in the industry they they make the cameras the sensors that are in almost every smartphone camera and other things but you know they they lost their edge for a long time um because even though they had a lot of really great tech stuff wasn't shipped or wasn't productized the right way so i think that this is it's it's interesting in some ways obviously i would never ever count Google out. Um, and I, I would, uh, you know, never, uh, assume that just because you have other people that are front runners in the space that they couldn't come out and, and if they have a better model and a better way to use the model, you know, really, uh, regain ground. Having said that, you know, at this point, ChatGPT is a brand name. I think more, you know, e- even more than open AI is ChatGPT is a brand name. And, and Brie and I talked about the, uh, ChatGPT API last week and, that's continued to just blow up and 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 because it's priced well you're seeing it's you know similar to when the app store opened and you started seeing people build tons of mobile apps for iOS that just created that ecosystem that to this day is still a better ecosystem than its competitors i think that's the sort of thing that the longer they they hold off and um you know for whatever reasons they uh, you know they haven't done things the the harder it will be for them to catch up but I would also say, having worked at a company that felt like it was sometimes playing catch up on things, even though its own internal research and its own stuff was often ahead or as good as everyone else's, and the perception wasn't there, there is this there is this fear that um, I think you know companies need to be cautious about, which is that by by going too gung ho onto something and just kind of you know spraying and praying, you could end up like a Google Plus. Which is mm. which is you know what happened before when they were, Google was trying to just uh, you know take on Facebook and socialify everything and you know they wound up getting rid of the one social network that they actually had Google Reader and they wound up you know in double doubling down on this Google Plus thing that just never worked and so you have to be careful that you're doing it competently and and strategically and not just out of fear that you've been one upped. It's okay to be second. Um, it's not okay to be second. And then have like the resulting product you put out not be fully baked. I think especially yeah. when it's something like that could potentially affect Google search, which is one of the most interacted with applications oh, yeah. on the planet, probably. Like I, I, w- I, frankly, I come down on the side of I, I, I think there is no being overly cautious when it comes to s- changing something like how Google search works, which is which. Uh, dominates like so much of my industry, uh, so much of how people, just everyone on this planet finds information nowadays. That being said, I do agree absolutely with your overall point that shipping is a feature and like there are so many things like you could you could test a product probably day in, day out mm-hmm. within the company for eons and you would still find something new the second it's released to the wider exactly. populace to mess around with it. Exactly. Like, that's just a fact. There's also something to be said, like you mentioned Google, like that Google search, this is a hard thing for them because on the one hand, it makes them so much money and it works and they have this dominant position. And on the other hand, you can see decisions that have been made in the past five years or so where I think Google search has gotten worse because yeah. Google, has, Google has made decisions to, you know, service their own information and to prioritize other things first, which is part of the reason why there's this opportunity for other search mechanisms, right? I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, Google search is completely, not not completely. Google search is a little bit broken right now. Did y'all see um, Corey, oh my God, what's his last name? His thread about the um, the fake company, surfa- the fake restaurant surfacing in no. Google? Oh my God. 
Um, who's the guy who hates uh, copyright? Corey, Corey Doctorow. A, oh, Corey, Corey Doctorow. Doctorow. Thank yeah. you. Corey Doctorow. Oh, my God. I'm so bad with names. Corey Doctorow had this thread on um, Twitter and on his blog. He was Googling a restaurant that he gets takeout from very often. Um, and the top search result ended up being a scam website that, like, took his money, put in an order at the restaurant, but upcharged him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the restaurant realized this because they had been dealing with it and called Corey and were like, hey, this is, by the way, you place an order through fake service. You can still, like, come, like, get your, we'll make your order, but you have to pay it again and you should cancel that charge with your bank. And he did so. But, like, Google was taking money from this fake website um, which had a phone number from Wix, like the Wix page, not from an individual business, taking money to make to like put a sponsored link at the top of the Google search results for a restaurant that was like a longstanding restaurant that Google had like had indexed that Google knew existed and was real, but it was instead showcasing this fake result. So like there's definitely flaws in the uh, platform. I'm going to need to take a drink really soon. And I, I I can see ways, I guess, for AI to potentially solve things like that. But I think maybe at the heart of the, the heart of the problem is just the monetization of search in general and like how Google is making money off of it, how scammers are making money off of right. it, um, how regular upstanding businesses can make money off of it. Well, I think that's the thing, right, is that if you disrupt search, you uh, could potentially disrupt the the revenue mechanism. And I yeah. and, and I think that there's an argument to be made that maybe there have been some caution. People have been too cautious about that. And uh, the innovators, okay, so in the book, uh, Clayton Christensen's famous book, The Innovator's Dilemma, dilemma you know, in talking about the um, problems that, are, that face people who are um, disrupting things and the things that, uh, you know, the challenge facing um, uh, leaders in an industry, you know, that is one of the fears. Like you have to disrupt yourself is, mm. is typically that that's his theory. And I think that's proven out over history. And, and that's, I think there's something to be said in that right now, which is that you have a lot of companies, not just open AI, not just being who are looking at ways to disrupt search partially because it's become a less good experience. And I think partially because Google maybe has left an opportunity for that because they've been so concerned about protecting the cash cow and maybe even optimizing the cash cow that they've gotten away from the core mission, which is help people find what they actually want to find. Yeah, I think that's dead on. Bree, do you have any final thoughts to add before I tell everyone about something else? I guess just really briefly. I mean, it, it seems to me that Every single company in tech right now is scrambling for AI, right? Yeah. Like we we saw them all like really double down on you know this this VR AR vision. I think our, our coverage of that has been very fair over the years. But now it feels like they're just skating for this. It feels a lot more viable to me, but mm-hmm. it also feels, in my view, that like the the impact of this, it it could be overstated. And it could be like truly revolutionary at the same time. I mean, do we, what's the feeling from, from both of y'all? I mean, is this, is this going to be like an iterative thing where it's just, um, it's kind of a technology that's in, in the background and just like, it makes the things we do like 10, 20% better. Or do you think it's going to be like foundationally uh, shifting the way the the iPhone was? Because I'm leading towards it being, you know, a very important improvement forward, but you know, something that is, is only the key thing we, that makes a difference in a set number of use cases, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think this is going to be a foundational shift. I don't know what the the timeline is, and I don't know like where we are in the smartphone thing. Like, I don't know if we're in two thousand seven or if we're like in like two thousand two, right? I don't know where we are in that timeline, but I do think that this is a foundational shift. I think that this, I, I understand the comparisons to NFTs and crypto and to to VR and, and AR, and I don't disagree that a lot of companies and 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 a, both big and small are jumping on this because this is how you can raise money, especially in this climate. And this is the hot new trend. I'm not discounting that at all. I think there's a lot of like, uh, you know, like cruft in there. there. There's a lot of noise. That That's the term. There's a lot of noise in there and, and trying to find the signal can be difficult. Having said that, I, I think this is transformational. I think that this is the actual next. We've been waiting for the next big computing trend for the last, you know, 16 years. 
And and I think this is actually it. That's my what that's is, my take. Can you give an example of a way? Like, like two weeks ago, we talked about how it's really going to impact search. That's a really obvious use case to me. But beyond beyond that, which I think all of us agree that is going to be a foundational shift. What is like another example of a way this is really going to transform the way that we we work with technology? In your well, view? Well, I mean, just just to give an example, I mean like. Copilot, sure. which is what GitHub uses, is yeah. is an amazing tool. And it is more than just autocomplete. Like you can type in and you can even do this in ChatGPT where you can say, help me write a script in Python that does this and it will do it for you. There's yeah. a way using natural language. And this is actually very common. I mean, I've started to use this a lot, which is like, okay, what's a script that I would do to do this specific function with FFmpeg, which is a uh, command line uh, video uh, interface, which is very, very powerful and very complicated and has a ton of different operators and things you need to use. And trying to figure it out is a nightmare. I I pay for a, a GUI app that has all of its features because frankly, like unless I have a, a script that I have pre-written, I, I can't remember it all. But I can say, you know, use FFmpeg to convert um, this file to this format with this frame rate in this um, you know, uh, video um, mode, co- color mode, and it will do it. That's the sort of thing that, uh, and, and to say nothing of language translation, language translation is another area that we don't talk enough about that is incredibly interesting, where you cannot just take like written to, um, st- like, like spoken to, to written or vice versa, but you can do it across languages. So I can say something in English and it can translate it instantly into Spanish text. Um, or, or the inverse. And so these are things that you can think about in the future being incredibly powerful um, as, as a way of communication. And, and that mm-hmm. stuff is already happening like in a very viable way right now. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I saw, just speaking about Copilot, I saw a thread on Twitter that I thought it really struck me as a little too jaded. And someone was talking about how, well, when COBOL came out, they said that it was going to make non-programmers into programmers. And then when OOP came out, they said it was going to do this. And then when Rails came out, they said the same thing. And, you know, this uh, Copilot thing is not going to be anything either. I'm like, eh, I mean, it's a tool. It's, I, it, it's a yeah. tool. I mean, I think that people said the same thing about IntelliSense and they said sure. the same thing about like language processing servers. And like now nobody would have any IDE without either of those things. Yeah. I don't, I think that in five years, uh, you know, whether it's GitHub or someone else's, because other people are definitely going to be looking at it this way too. I don't think you're going to have um, IDEs that don't have some sort of AI assistance sort of thing built into them. I just don't think, I, I, I think that's going to become like just a natural part of how our tools work, in my opinion. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I I think it's I I don't think anyone believes you can just like pick someone off the street without like some background in CS no, and make no. them a programmer. And, and, and to be clear, you do need to know, and the people who know because what it's giving you right now. I mean, and look, that mm-hmm. could change in a decade, but right yeah. now you do need to know what you're doing. But and those are the people that really helps. So if you really know what you're doing, that's when it can help you the most because you right. can debug it, you can kind of step through, you can have it explain things. Is it perfect? No. Is it would I want to go back to not having it? No. Right. So, you know, I, I think need be- that because I'm trying to make a bracket filter for TikTok right now. <laughs> and let me tell you, that has a little more logic to it than I thought it would have. Should have seen that one coming. <laughs> when you mentioned telling the program, like, help me write a script that does this. My ears both perked up. I was like, Hang on. <laughs> Wait, a use case. I, I think I mentioned this uh, a few weeks ago, but uh, Tom Scott uh, had a video a few weeks ago called I Tried Using AI, It Scared Me, that I think everybody who is interested in any of this stuff should watch. It's 15 minutes. It's one of the best things I've seen on this because I think that his view is really pragmatic. And and I, he talks about it, how he used ChatGPT to basically help him filter his email and the process he went through and how he is like Ooh. kind of a person who saw the last industry disruption with Napster, how he saw that, uh, how he kind of is getting, you know, feelings of that now. And, and again, I mean, I don't know where we are in this journey. And, and he makes that point too. He does, we don't know where we are kind of in this disruptive thing, but I, I think that as, as popular as it is in certain circles to do, to immediately dismiss AI and, and to immediately be skeptical of, of it. Um, I think that a lot of the claims are completely overblown. But I, I think that this is this is a real thing. This is not a flash of the pan. Drop that bad boy in the dock, and I will tell you all that this episode of Rocket is brought to you by ExpressVPN. 
watching Netflix without using ExpressVPN is a bit like buying tickets for your favorite artist, but only being allowed to watch the opening act. Netflix actually has thousands of shows, for example, across different countries, but without a VPN, you only get access to a limited selection based on your location. With ExpressVPN, you can unblock those shows by amending where it thinks you're located. And it works on other streaming services, too. For example, right now, on freaking uh, Turkish Netflix, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings, it's just out there. The, the most perfect film trilogy ever created, created at the perfect time in history so that it was able to be filmed entirely at the same time and released as itself without suffering franchise bloat. And it's just out there being itself perfectly on Turkish Netflix. It's uh, available with just one click by opening the app, choosing the country, for example, that I want Netflix to think I'm in and then refresh and then boom, I'm in. I'm in the Netflix and I'm watching Lord of the Rings. There are many reasons to choose ExpressVPN. It has blazing fast speeds. You can stream in HD with zero buffering. It's also compatible with all of your devices, phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. Those are the places where you watch TV. Plus, they have servers in 94 different countries, so you can gain access to thousands of new shows. And it works with other streaming services like BBC iPlayer, My Beloved, YouTube, and many more. You can stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com rocket. Don't forget to use the link at expressvpn.com rocket to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Just just before we go to the next topic, I didn't get a chance to say this. Um, you know, Christine, I really hope that I'm I, I'm not trying to come off as like skeptical about AI at all. Oh um, no, I don't I, think you are. Yeah, go I on. I fully I fully agree. There is I, I think there's a knee jerk. There, there's a knee-jerk cynicism, I think, in tech. And, and part of that is very healthy because I do think we have hyped things in this industry without um, like, 100%. Like thinking about them too critically. Um, I'm working on a really large project right now that uh, is looking at a lot of the early uh, reporting on Musk. And far too much of it is just it's embarrassing. Credulous. It's beyond <laughs> embarrassing for the journalists that did it. Um, but I, I, I agree with you that I think there are a lot of people, um, especially in my end of the political sphere, that have come to the conclusion everything a tech industry does is, is, is cynical and it's a cash grab and it's a ploy to raise money and it's not going to change the world and blah, blah, blah. I, I just think that uh, I think there are more interesting questions here, like how are we going to get a workforce that has the background in AI enough to scale at you know Meta and Google and Microsoft uh, and all these other startups that are interested in like uh, leveraging the new API for for their apps, right? Um, I I think there's I, I just think there are wider issues we need to be thinking about as an industry. No, I totally agree. And I think we should do all that. I, and my point isn't for people not to be critical or skeptical because there does need to be skepticism and there does need to be criticism. Mm -hmm. I just think the blanket knee-jerk reaction from some people, which is yeah. none of this matters and this is the same as NFTs, I, that's not that's not true. And it's I can say that- It's criticism. It's uh, stupid. But not even that. Like, but some will genuinely believe that. And I'm, I'm just saying yeah. like, that's objectively not true. I've seen I've seen stuff and and it's mm -hmm. not the same. You know, there there is whether people want to use it or not, whether it's as game changing as as some people think, that's up for debate. But this is not NFTs. This is not, you know, crypto. This is this is something very different. Well said. Shall we speak about Spotify? Let's yes. do it. Spotify is going through a redesign. Um, uh, in this piece on The Verge, talks about how Spotify is trying to make it easier for users to find new content to listen to and watch, making a, an interface that might look a lot more like TikTok than you are familiar with from your Spotify app, uh, with a heavy emphasis on imagery and vertical scrolling and discovery. Uh, this follows years of investment into uh, forms of other forms of audio, such as audiobooks, podcasts, 
and live audio uh, as uh, alongside the music that Spotify is known for. The new design ostensibly gives each of these things a hub to live in rather than being all dumped on the front page of your app, uh, which has been something that I've noticed uh, in my last few months of using Spotify. It's just like I, I don't use Spotify to listen to audiobooks or podcasts, and I am constantly being shown those things. Um this uh, redesign also follows a 2021 interview uh, with The Verge where Spotify CEO Daniel Ek said he wanted, quote unquote, more than 50 million audio creators on the platform. And that language strikes me as very intentional uh, when it comes to a TikTok-esque redesign, given that the biggest uh, and most powerful social networks right now all rely on user-generated content made by people that we call creators. Topically, one of the other features uh, coming is a personalized AI, a smart shuffle feature, which will temporarily add tracks to existing playlists, which I, f- I feel like, sp- I, I mean, Spotify, it, it always had like an autoplay that was based on the playlist after the playlist wrapped. But I feel like, is this already out there? Have I? Because I feel like I've noticed this happening. I think it's sort of different. I, what I get that impression is like, I think we've seen part of it. And I think it's going to become more, but I'm not really sure. Hmm. All right. Well, what do we think about uh, Spotify trying to do it all when it comes to uh. audio instead of just being... A music app. Brianna, you sound uh, not into it so much. Uh, so I know it's different people than than Spotify and than Facebook. But uh, what my first thought when I, I was reading this is, I don't know if y'all still log in Facebook occasionally. I do. I don't know why. Oh but my I do. God, yes. But um, go on. And every time you do it, what's the first thing you see? You scroll down. It's not your friends talking about whatever. It's that, I'm sorry, you're going to have to beat me, that reels feed and it's got something there and I don't give a about it and it's this like a two second loop of someone doing something and just it kicks into that evolutionary part of my brain where I just have to look at something right and I just I'll sit there and I'll notice I'm staring at it I don't even care about it but it captures my eye the same way that like an accident a car accident catches mm-hmm. your eye you can't stop looking at it and they did it and it's a psychological hack growth feature and I know that they're looking at the metrics they're like wow everybody's logging on to Facebook and they just stop on reels. <laughs> this must be a wildly successful feature. And every single time I log into Facebook, I'm like, oh, God damn it. Can I stop looking at this thing in my feed? It is so annoying. Can I just like go see the five friends that I actually talked to on this stupid mm. hell site? And like the thought of Spotify, like doing stuff in that same vein, it's like, you're Spotify. You're a place to listen to music. You put out cool stuff at the end of every year about what people listen to. Just go with your core like stuff here. Stop trying to be everything. We don't need ping. Like Apple, stop doing that. So that that was my thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, no, no, you're fine. Um, yeah, I mean, I I I, I want to see this to see how bad or how good it is because on the one hand, like my instinct is like, don't do this. Spotify actually is better than Apple Music in a lot of ways. Like their playlists and their discovery stuff is what's better. Like I, I I use Apple Music almost entirely on mobile. Spotify's desktop app is superior. Like that's uh, without um, a doubt true. But I've discovered way more new music because of Spotify than Apple Music, even with the new kind of Apple Music, you know, kind of uh, autoplay feature where they'll play you stuff you want. Like the stuff that Spotify will just surface for me, both in my for like my Discover playlist the other playlists they have, and even just like if I'm listening to a certain artist, the stuff that will play for me afterwards that the people that I will find is just better. They're and so I part of me am like, well, if you could show me, if you could actually do what TikTok does and show me things that I'm interested in that I might not even know about, I might be down for that, right? Or podcasts or other things that I'm interested in, I might be down for that. But if you're gonna just get in my way and annoy me and keep me from what I actually want, then I'm going to be then I'm gonna be so I need to see it to see how I'm going to feel about it. But my instinct is to be like, no, but I've got to be honest, if they could pull it off, it, this could be one of those things where I'm one of the people that's like, oh, I hate X, but then I actually use X all the time because I'm a sheep. 
as usual, I, I, I am of two minds about something. I can see both sides of the issue. Um, I think one of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading this is just like the legions of beloved music apps that have fallen. Yes. Like, say, for example, eight tracks. Yes. Beloved. Beloved, beloved of Tumblr. But a lot of these apps like were just not able to survive and XFM was one of my favorites. Yep, exactly. Like to find a way to like keep stay profitable, build a user base, um, and have utility. And Spotify kind of won that battle by becoming absolutely freaking enormous. Um, but I, I kind of understand if the perspective of the company is, well, there are all these other things that we could be digging into to make money. Every other app that, you know, setting Apple Music aside because it's freaking Apple. All these other companies have like gone the way of the wind. Mm -hmm. um, let that not be us. And then on the other hand, I have the thought that is just like this to me kind of personifies this mindset of growth above all else where like you, you have an app that like you said Christina it it's a really good service they I I love Spotify discover I have uh or discovery I have accessed uh, many new and horrible kinds of music through it that I nevertheless enjoy because Spotify knows me and knows mm -hmm. that I don't have taste and they've <laughs> they've really cottoned on to what exactly I want to be hearing at a given time. Um, and it's horrible for everyone else, but it's great for me. Immediately after I and this is a, a, a good the good side of that, the good music that I've been listening to immediately after I like started mainlining the RRR soundtrack last year, I got served so much good South Indian music. Uh, that I still listen to and love. Um, and then at the same time, after I started mainlining one single Imagine Dragons song, I accessed many, many, many low quality but perfect songs that sound exactly like it that are all men going, whoa, and yeah. And that's exactly what I have needed at different right. You, different but it was what you life. wanted. Like it was, it was just like, like you know, low quality men going what when yeah. But exactly. You, but you needed that. I'm the same way. Like I've mm -hmm. had like movie soundtracks or scores that I didn't know that I wanted, or like you know, I got distracted. I, I got lost in my description of the terrible music and uh, went away from my my point, which yes. was actually that I, I I think that the way that our I mean our entire economy is is constructed is that it's not enough for Spotify to be really 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 good at that one thing. They have to find ways to be good at these other things as well and like eat into the lunch of something uh, like um, audiobook audiobook players and Audible. yeah totally like that. and potentially like there are so many new songs that debut on TikTok. I can only imagine that Spotify is looking at that and thinking. What if those songs like what if what if creators were incentivized to be on Spotify instead? So I, I, I think it's it's a symptom of the way that a company can't just be good at one thing. It has to expand and bloat infinitely to become everything, much right. like Facebook has to Bree's point, which is a terrible, terrible platform. I guess, you know, when I think about what I think Apple Music is really blowing, and I apologize because I don't use Spotify like y'all do, but uh, Christina, to your point about why Apple Music sucks for music discovery, it's because you don't have live shows the way that they used to when it first started. Like mm -hmm. they, Apple Music um, gave Anna Luno, um, who wasn't a, a huge name uh, when it debuted, like a, a show called Hyper House. And every single week she would have a show that came out. And I looked forward to that every single week and I listened to it instantly because she had so many banger tracks on there. Right. It's the equivalent of what Sirius XM does uh, with BPM, where they bring in like the top DJs in the world and they're like, look, there's uh, any idiot with like a, a, a laptop can make an EDM song today. You need someone to like comb through all this and, right. and, and be a tastemaker and find the stuff that's culturally uh, significant, right? Which is like Graybox, right? That's why uh, Sirius XM spends so, so much money on Graybox and, uh, you know, um, uh, all the, uh, all these various shows that they bring in, like really literally top DJs in the world, picking the best songs and then you go out and buy them. Right. Apple music used to do that and now they don't. And it's just, I, I truly, 
am, it, I know it's old school, but I'm so skeptical of how much an algorithm can ever really do this for you. I, at least when something comes out on TikTok, that is a tastemaker or it's someone personally vouching for it. Right. Like, like I think you need like, um, a, a real person there kind of saying like, Hey, this is something I think you should be listening to. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, it does. And, and to be, to be fair, I think Spotify kind of gets the perfect middle because they don't have the live radio shows, which I do agree. I thought that those were great when Apple did them. I have to imagine that people just didn't listen to them is the, it was the problem with Apple radio yeah. or whatever, you know, they well, still they have didn't advertise. It's impossible to find. If I didn't right. follow Anna Luno on Twitter, I wouldn't have known about hyper. Right. I mean, like Zane Lowe still has his show. They still have some other people doing stuff, but they, they follow off on that. And then most of it is just automated stations, similar to regular radio. But, um, I think like, you know, what's great about Spotify is that you do have the algorithmic playlists, which are, I have to say great, like the, 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 you know, discover, uh, playlists, but then the handcrafted ones that they keep up to date are really good. And, and, I'm just, you know, because I use playlists from both of them. The Spotify ones are better. Um, and I, you know, I, I think that Spotify has, they, I know, I know for a fact they employ a lot of really good tastemakers there. But I think you're right. Like I think you need a, a mixture of the two. But I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm kind of with Simone a little bit, and then like, I understand why they're trying to be all things to all people. I hope that they're able to do this in a way that it's not overly annoying because I do have to say like when they first rolled out the audiobook stuff and I started seeing books all the time in my feed I'm like mm-hmm. I don't care I have an Audible subscription I'm never ever 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 going to buy an audiobook from Spotify just like I will yeah. never buy it from Apple yep. like I buy them from Audible that's yep. it and um you know because I I if I could sync them across services that would be great but I can't and and the irony here is that Audible is like Apple's audiobook provider but you can't go back and forth. It's a whole thing. But like, you know, but if I could discover, I mean, there are artists that I follow on TikTok and on Instagram and on Spotify. I'm going to be honest, I kind of wouldn't mind seeing their TikToks or their short form content in the Spotify app. Like I would kind of be okay with that. Yeah. Ooh, that is controversial. I mean, I kind of would be, to be honest with you, not all of it, but like the stuff that if they had it related to their music, I would kind of be down for that. Maybe I'm just too skeptical because Apple is blowing it so hard. But man, they're, they're, they have three EDM stations. They have Chill Dance, Dance, and like EDM. And all of them are just unbelievably bad, Christina. <laughs> it is the most mid-forgettable. Like, I want you to imagine the most boring EDM song in your mind that just sounds like it's designed by a computer. That's what they play. It's yeah, just one after the other. I've never heard any song on Apple Music's like automated dance station that I thought was worth a damn ever, ever, <laughs> ever, ever. It is so bad. And I just, I literally don't know what's going on. Cause like I follow the people that like are the, the, the people that work on the dance algorithm and Apple Music. And I just want to pull them aside and go, what are you doing? <laughs> what's going on over there? This Why? is so bad. <laughs> Uh, well, we will keep an eye on this, uh, and I'm sure it'll be rolling out to all of us sooner. We'll rather see than what later. happens. We'll see what happens. I, I did before. We, I know we've got to go to our, our next sponsor, but when we come back from that, I do have one question I want to pose to you, Simone. All right. Well, this episode of Rocket is brought to you by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar with over 500 domain extensions available to show off exactly what you do. They've got everything from .com and .net to .cloud, .tech, and .stream. It gets even better, actually, because... Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies like SSL certificates, who is privacy, URL forwarding, web and email hosting trials, and so much more. Because why pay for things that should be free that we all need, right? All of this is backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. It is super easy to love the Porkbun website. It's simple to use and easy to navigate. You can manage everything about your new domain from one place. And they don't do upsells. Unlike me, who's doing upspeak right now. 
upsells. Pork Bun says they avoid upsells like the plague, so they aren't pushing made-up products that you'll never use. And they're not going to be constantly recommending other domains for you to buy. You know what domains you want to buy. Go buy them. Porkbun has the best pricing on the majority of their domains, so you can get the perfect domain name for your website at the lowest prices around. Get $1 off your next domain name from porkbun.com when you use the code ROCKET, or just follow the link in the show notes. That's porkbun.com and the code ROCKET for $1 off your next domain. Our thanks to Porkbun for their support of this show and Relay FM. Um, and I just want to give them a shout out. I've used them for years and really big fan. Um, if you want like one of the cheapest ways and like easiest to use interfaces, I have domains across a bunch of different registrars, but pork bun is a really good option because they have a lot of the, uh, GTLDs that not all of the big registrars have. And so, um, I can just, I can give like my actual, like personal, like thumbs up, uh, for, for pork bun, because I have, let's see what, what, uh, um, domains what I have with them. I have Christina.sh. I have scam.town. <laughs> um, I have, uh, do I have any other funny ones? I have podcastguy.xyz. I think that those oh are my God. the only, only uh, funny one. I have Christina.cloud. I have Theranos.dev. I have Theranos.dev. Oh my God. Oh, I forgot about Theranos.dev. <gasps> yep. So these are all things that I've bought and, and pay for for some reason. Oh, a filmgirl.social. That's one that I have. I have Christina.social as well. Amazing. So, so Amazing. Yeah. Big fan of pork bun. What was your question going to be? Um, my question was going to be, how do you feel about the TikTokification of all the apps? Like, Bad. Let's move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Christina, you shared with us this incredibly long and comprehensive and incredible and drama-filled story in The New Yorker about this very long, long-standing German fintech company called Wirecard, mm-hmm. um, which has been, it sounds like, in and out of the news pretty much since it was founded. It was, my my understanding of this is it was initially, you know, Germany has had a long history of, you know, making stuff um, and was kind of behind on fintech. So when this German fintech company was created, people were really, really excited. And it almost, it sounds like it almost immediately got into like, kind of shady credit card transactions and online gambling. But at some point, this completely goes off the rails. Millions of dollars disappear. Uh, People are being prosecuted for money laundering and uh, Russian mercenaries are involved. Can you can you give me, I guess, the summary of why this Wirecard story is the thing that we're going to be watching on Netflix in about like 18 months? Oh, it's already, there's already one on Netflix. There's already uh, a, a story on Netflix um, that came out last year that I missed, but there is already a documentary, but there should be more stuff about this. So this is one of the most interesting financial scams I've seen. So Wirecard was this kind of like German unicorn, as you mentioned. It was one of these companies that was incredibly successful and that the German government was very proud of because they had a fintech company and they kind of called it like the German PayPal. And they basically were a bank. They had a banking license and they would kind of act as a middleman in some ways and and offer um, uh, ways for people to pay for services that they might not otherwise be able to pay for. And so they first kind of gained prominence by um, doing a lot of stuff for for gambling sites and for other kind of shady and untoward things. And then when the U.S. passed legislation that wouldn't let people um, you know, gamble on the internet anymore um, outside of a, a couple of states, they still somehow managed so, to support different sites. And they did this because the, the company founder, um, who uh, the, the New Yorker talks about a lot, who was not the CEO, it's kind of a shady guy. I mean, all of this was shady, but they would do things like, um, uh, uh, you know, categorize the transactions differently. So it would come up like on your on your credit card, like as a restaurant or something else instead of, you know, the the um, gambling website. And they were also playing a lot of really big uh, games with the accounting and and making it seem like uh, accounts didn't work, like like that mm. money existed that didn't. Uh, there was a there's an anecdote in the New Yorker article where one of the executives taught employees how to commit high-end financial fraud like that he had a was at a whiteboard and basically said okay this is how you move money um between accounts and what we call um uh you know like um basically to make sure that okay we'll take 
certain amount of money, move it across accounts so that it appears as if these accounts have have funds in them, but don't actually. And Ugh. and uh, and they were doing this like hardcore. There was also a lot of mafia connections um, there uh, in terms of like the German mafia. Uh, there's also a lot of strong Russian connections. The founder uh, who absconded incidentally on a fake passport and uh, he's believed to be somewhere in Moscow. They don't know. Uh, they're, oh they're, the, the hope is that he will run out of money and and then kind of be forced to come back. But no one actually knows or not. Um, but but what makes this interesting, I think, from just some of the normal frauds, is that the German government, basically until it collapsed, was one hundred percent supportive of them to the point that, and this is what's really interesting, the Financial Times is the one who broke this story. This wasn't broken by any, um, you know, uh, security as, uh, you know, regulators or banking regulations or the government at all. This was broken by the press and not just, not the German press, but the British press, the Financial Times, who doesn't even really have investigative units per se, but they uh, had a blog, Alphaville, they were following this story for years, um, to to kind of go because they had a reporter who was very good at reading these um, financial uh, documents and these reports and seeing stuff that wasn't there and was got some very good sourcing and they were publishing things and when they first started publishing stuff about WireGuard people started shorting the stock and the German <laughs> government's response to the shorting wasn't to investigate the company it was to ban shorting of the stock to say <gasps> that the 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 company was of too much importance. That you couldn't short the stock, and then when the Financial Times started publishing critical information about them, they opened in criminal investigations not into the company but into the Financial Times. Oh my God, that that was I think so. Part of this New Yorker story that you linked, which is so as I said at the top, so thorough, is talking about the origins of this reporter, this English reporter that like looked into this and how he was actually worked in finance. Yes. And one day was like, I'm so freaking miserable. I want to be a journalist. Be a and I someone was like, you can do that. Right. That's a job that you're allowed to do. And he was like, whoa. And I thought exactly. that that was just a fantastic and such a funny little detail. Yeah. To And a great I, human interest, I think, angle into something that is so expansive when it comes to fraud. Oh, my God, it's huge. No, it is. And this is the thing. And this is why I think he was so good at this, because he did work in banking. He did actually understand what he was looking at, which is not the case for every uh, financial journalist. Some of them have better understandings than others. But frankly, like, you know, there's there's a difference. And like, I, like today, like if I were to go back to being like a, a, a uh, technology journalist, like as my full time job, I'd be better at it than I was um, six mm. years ago because I've worked as a software engineer at a big tech company, right? Like I, I just you you have expertise that it's just different, and so um, I think he was. I, I love that anecdote too, but he did a great job, and and it's so interesting though that the what I find so interesting about this particular scam is how much they were aided and abetted at every step of the way by the German government to the point that. The regulators who turned a blind eye to this stuff didn't face any criminations, basically said this wasn't our fault. And one of them is now the chancellor. So it, it's, <laughs> you know, um, it's it's bananas. But the the level of kind of fraud and things that were going on, and just, it seems like they were really willing to take on kind of any client, any any site. They would set up fake companies and how and, – and the, the reporters actually – went to these countries and went to these companies that were supposedly having these big contracts with WireGuard and finding out they didn't exist. Uh, you know, it tells the story of one case, you know, kind of tracking down um, kind of a, a being in a foreign country. I can't remember the country right now, tracking down um, a location, um, like first showing up at a place, no one's there, then calling someone and saying, no, oh, does so-and-so work here? No, I don't, I, I don't know him. Talking to another person. Oh yeah, this is the person you want to meet. Having somebody meet him in their car and then take him to a dingy office where he's the only one there. And this is supposed to be a $50 million a year account. Um, and, and then talking to somebody who, who thought they were involved, they're like, Oh no, this girl runs it. And she's like, no, I don't run it. He runs it. It's like, no, I just do the marketing. You know, the, it was just it, shell games is all it was. Um, wow. and, and kind of a front for a lot of money laundering. But then beyond that, like there was, you know, uh, full on fraud too. And, and it, you know, by the time the Financial Times put out their uh, biggest story on it in, I guess it was like October of um, 2019, 
2019, it took another six months or so for it to actually collapse, for the company to, to collapse because um, of the audits and how long things took. But this was something that, you know, they uh, really had to like fight for for years. You know, people had been reporting, you know, suspicions about this going back as far back as 2008. That's yeah, that's that. I think that was another crazy part about it. So if, if you want to know more about this, we have the link to the New Yorker piece and a link to a piece from The Guardian in the show notes. So you can read up on this. Um, I, I to am um, I, I, I get I mean, maybe the fact that it's not an American company is why there hasn't been like a, a sort of uh, character focused drama about right. it. But but to me, it to me would be perfect because it's just I, I can't Absolutely. recall. I can't recall another time that I've I've read. Um, and I remember when this was coming out, I remember seeing some of the reporting and then the collapse and people were really shocked by the collapse. Um, and I read the, I read Financial Times, but I, I, you know, I didn't really follow the story that closely. And reading this New Yorker article, um, the the lead writer on all of this for the FT wrote a book. I'm going to link his book in the show notes too. I haven't read it yet, but I'm, I'm sure it's excellent. Um, but like, it, I'm with you. I'm kind of like, this seems like the sort of thing, like this is this is even bigger than some of the normal financial scams we talk about because the government, and not just any government, but the German government, right? And mm-hmm. and, and that seemed to be part of the threat of why um, maybe they were, you know, taking it for the company is that the Germans are very proud and very much didn't want to have anybody impugning, you know, like, how dare you insult Germany? And it's like, okay, but if fraud's being committed, fraud's being committed. It's, it's, it's utterly fascinating. Yeah. Well... Definitely check that out. It is fascinating. Let's move on to what we are up to this week. Brianna, what are you up to? Oh, my You've goodness. you had your great victory of speedrunning. What's I next? Know. Uh, other than planning for my very next uh, speedrunning, I'm embarrassed to say I'm completely addicted to Wolong. Uh, I talked uh, so yeah. much on this uh, podcast about my love for Stranger of Paradise, which was the uh, I'm going to kill chaos game. <laughs> so those same people put out a game called Wolong, which is basically Neo 3. Um, it is a Souls-like. It is incredible brutal and I just freaking love it so uh, honestly I'm playing it every second I'm not working amazing Christina what about you so I am going to oh and you're going to scream Brie yes scream Thursday Friday Saturday and Sunday okay so so so, so scream week for Brie so yes. I am going um to uh Southern California tomorrow um I'm tomorrow morning early so I'm going to be at scale the Southern California uh, Linux um, Expo this weekend, if you happen to be at scale, which is one of the largest uh, Linux community events um, in the world, uh, it might actually be like, I think it's the biggest one in the United States, but it's it's a it's a big one. Um, if you happen to be there, Rocket Rules is always apply. If you see me, say hello. I realize that that's like a small overlay of our audience, but if you happen to be in, in, in California, be there. There is an irony that I'm going to be um, in Pasadena, uh, so very close to Los Angeles on Oscar weekend, but not at the Oscars. Uh, that disappoints me as well, but it is what it is. And then next week, I will not be on the show because I'm flying out. So, so I, I, the, um, on Monday, I originally like up until two days ago, I thought that I was going to be flying back home on Monday, but instead, I'm actually flying. I'll be flying to Salt Lake City um, for uh, DevOps uh, Salt Lake City uh, next week. So, um, and I'll, I'll be there, hey. um, and then I'll be flying back Thursday morning. So, uh, same thing. If you happen to be at DevOps Salt Lake City, even smaller chance of crossover there. But if you happen to be there, um, say hello and rocket rules apply. But yeah, so I'll be, I'll be in SoCal and then I'll be in Salt Lake city doing, uh, doing developer conference stuff. Super exciting. I will be in my home recovering from my sinus infection. Yes. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Um, they, yeah, I, I'm so annoyed. I'm so annoyed because I had, you know, like the best six days of my life in Venice and, you know, going out, having a great time. And now I'm trapped. I'm trapped in my home with snot leaking from me. I'm sick of it. I'm very, very tired of it. I would like it to be done. Um, I'm going to stop believing in it very soon. I no longer acknowledge my sinus infection. She's not real to me. Uh, We were recording this on International Women's Day, but I denounce her. I Mm. think that she is hashtag not feminist um <laughs> and uh f- she's a tool of the patriarchy and she's holding me back so you know just goes to show not everyone's an ally you can't sometimes trust your own body 
um, to take care of you. Oh. And that's what I have to say about that. Brianna, where can I find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Brianna Wu. And Christina? You can find me at film underscore girl on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me at film underscore girl at mastodon.social on Mastodon. And you can find the videos that I do for work at youtube.com slash GitHub. And you can find me everywhere at Doom Quasar and find Polygon on YouTube where we just had a, a video go up where we're playing Battle Spirit Saga, which is this incredible complex trading card game uh, with ZD, otherwise known as Sung Won Cho, who's a very, very funny voice actor and a like skit creator online. So go check that out. Uh, I was sick when we filmed it. So if you'd like to see me in action, uh, it's it's quite funny. I, I, I look like I have died. Do you know what I love to do when I'm feeling sick? Yeah. I just, uh, I, I go lay on the couch and I play a good old SNES game like Link to the Past. Until I just, <laughs> yeah, I, just, just saying, just saying. Better. Shoot, that yeah. is what I should be doing. I'm so annoyed. <laughs> no, you really should be doing you this. You got me um, there. Also, one of our listeners used uh, um, a new uh, chat GPT roasting tool like uh, roastedby.ai oh to try yes. to roast you and uh, it, into playing A Link to the Past. Um, it wasn't great, although it did one of the one of the things it gave me was really good. I told it that it was a version who couldn't drive and it was like, oh, clueless reference. How clever. And then proceeded huh. to like destroy me. It was very good. Oh, my God. That's funny. Uh, all right. Stay tuned if you're a subscriber because you're going to hear the story of what happened on the way to the airport when I was going to Venice when I was a different person before I became ill. Um, and if you'd like to learn more about that, go to relay.fm slash membership. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to our show. If you liked it, I hope you leave a little review on Apple Podcasts. Help other people see that we are a good show that they should listen to. We'll be back with you next week. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 